0: Matthew 15. Everybody good? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, here at Calvary, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And so we find ourselves in chapter 15. Now, chapter 14 and 15 are a unit in the Gospel of Matthew. And he's, uh, Matthew is really focusing in on some of the miracle stories that took place in the life of Jesus. So when I look at a, a miracle story and some of the stories, I always want to ask myself, why? Why did this happen? Uh, What were you trying to convey to us? Why is it that the Lord made sure that this story was included in the gospel? There's something that he wants to say to us. I want to suggest to you there in the top of your outline, Paul would tell us this. He would say, God has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Jesus is the creator, by the way, and he's the creator because he's God. It says, and he is the radiance of his glory, but the part I want you to underline is where it says, and the exact representation of his nature. Does everybody see that? Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of his father, the the nature of God. That is, Jesus is always doing on the earth uh, that which would be his father's nature to do on behalf of his people. So when Jesus is performing these miracles, he's just reflecting his father's nature. So that, that's what's happening. So the the miracles then have a way of revealing God's heart, but then another verse, Paul would tell us this, he would say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the heart of God towards his people has not changed. And Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. So when we come to a story like this where Jesus performs a miracle and it looks very much like a miracle that has just taken place, Uh, I have to ask myself, Lord, what is it that you want to communicate? Because these two miracles look very much alike. So are you really driving a point home? What's the same and and what's different? So today we're going to look at what's called the feeding of the 4,000. In chapter 14, we're in chapter 15, but in chapter 14, there was this great story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Today there's going to be the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. So I want to look at this and we'll see what's the same and and what's different and what is it that the Lord would want to say to us. Now as we do that I want to go to the map and you'll recall if you were here last week as you look at a map of, of Israel you'll see down in the bottom the area is called Judea and down in the bottom you have the Dead Sea and you have the city of Jerusalem. That's in the southern part The middle part of Israel is the area that's called Samaria, which is uh, inhabited by the Samaritans at that point. Story for another day. As you get to the northern part of Israel, you have this area called Galilee. You have the Sea of Galilee, which is a large freshwater lake. And on the top of the Sea of Galilee, you have this town called Capernaum. Now Capernaum, as we've been studying through the the, the Gospels, Capernaum is the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. He has a house right there in in this area. This is a very Jewish, uh, we would say very Orthodox Jewish environment. But last week we noticed something, that Jesus left Capernaum, he went to the north and he went to the west, up to this area uh, called Tyre and Sidon. Does everybody see the two towns, Tyre and Sidon? Now that's in the area of Lebanon, specifically over by where modern day Beirut would be. So Jesus leaves that, the, the area of Israel, goes to Lebanon, and he encounters the Syrophoenician woman. If you were here last week, the, uh, the quick story on that is just that she has a need, and Jesus is conveying through that need that for us, that we're not, not to lose heart, we're to persist in our praying. Don't give up if you're praying about something. If it doesn't happen immediately, keep praying, keep going. So Now, when Jesus does that, what takes place after that, we're going to pick it up the very next verse, which is going to be verse 29 of Matthew 15. So it says, departing from there, and that's Tyre and Sidon, all the way up in uh, Lebanon. It says, departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there. Now, my Bible says sitting there. Some of your Bibles will say he sat down, but however your Bible says it, I want you to just go ahead and underline that. That'll be important for our story. Now, this story is also told in Mark's gospel. So when Mark tells the story, he gives a little bit more detail. It says there in your outline, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. Now I want you to underline Decapolis. Now that's going to be important because he leaves the northern part, Lebanon, he comes back down to the area of Decapolis. So he's going to come back down by Capernaum, and he's going to go to the east and then south, and there's that area called Decapolis. Does everybody see that? So Decapolis just means ten cities. And what you need to know is this is a completely Gentile area. So last week he goes to Lebanon, there are no Jewish people in that place, now he goes down to Decapolis and this is a completely Gentile environment. Now what's important about that is that you will remember as we were studying through, when we were back in chapter 8 of Matthew and there's a story that was told in Matthew and Mark, Jesus comes to this area of the Decapolis, and he encounters a man who we would know as the Legion. Remember that guy? And he's running around naked, he's possessed, he's cutting himself, he's living among the tombs. And so there on your outline uh, it, it says, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many, as Mark, Mark uh, told the story. And you'll recall that Jesus casts out the demons, and you know they go into the pigs, and they go into the water, and they drown. Well, then the man is completely sane at that point, and so the whole city, it says, Matthew tells us that And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. They were used to seeing the man naked, screaming, cutting himself, but seeing him now in his right mind, clothed and and sane, uh, this freaks them out. So they respond to Jesus, you know, just get out of here. We don't want whatever it is you're doing. Just stay out of here. So the man who has now been delivered from the demons, he wants to go with Jesus and travel. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go around and just tell people what it is that God has done for you. So the next verse there in your outline, in uh, Mark tells it, he says it like this. So the man went away and began to tell all in the, and what's that word there? Decapolis, underline that. How much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. And so when, when we looked at that, we talked about the power of your story. All you have to do is tell people uh, what, what it is that God has done for you. It was not the man's great preaching ability, it was not his great theology, it's just that he was one way before and he met Jesus and now he's different and God changed him and everybody saw the change in his life. And so uh, you don't have to be possessed uh, and then you know, delivered to have a great testimony. You just have to say, here's what God has done in my life. And, and, and that God uses that. God uses it. Well, we talked about that then. So Mark tells us that Jesus is now going back to this area of Decapolis where they asked him to leave last time but there's been a man walking around telling everybody what it is that Jesus has done for him. So we pick it up in verse 29 again it says departing from there Jesus went along by the sea of Galilee having gone up to the mountain he was sitting there and this time underlying large crowds came to him bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute and many others and they laid them down at his feet and he healed them. Verse 31, it says, So the crowd marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And then very important, you want to underline it says, and they praised the God of Israel, or your Bible will say they glorified the God of Israel. And so you want to underline that. Now in verse 29, it told us uh, that, that he goes there and he sits down. In that culture in the Middle East, if you were a teacher when you were ready to teach, you sat down and the people stood up. I've, I've often thought about doing that here. I come up here, I sit down, and you stand up for an hour and see how. And we'll see what's what, right? <laughs> yeah. Of course, there'd only be like two people next week—my wife and one of my kids, maybe. But so, so we'll just keep with what we're doing. But he's teaching. When it says he sat down, that's that's a clue that he's teaching. And then in verse 30 we saw large crowds and we underline that. Now the the man who had the legion has been telling people what Jesus has done for him. And as they saw people being healed, people being delivered, it says, and I put it on your outline, they praised the God of Israel. Now the reason that's important, they praise the God of Israel, is that these are Gentiles. They worship a host of other gods, but they realize it's the God of Israel that's done something. So now, they're not worshiping those other gods, they are praising the God of Israel. By the way, that word praise there is the word "doxazo," from where we get the word doxology. Uh, Some of you grew up in church, and you sang the doxology every week, and it just means praise. Verse 32, so it says, Jesus called his disciples and said, and said you know, I feel compassion. I want you to underline, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days. Three days. And I want you to underline three days. That'll be important. They have nothing to eat and I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. So It's it's not they they've been with Jesus for three days. It's not that they've gone without food for three days, but they've been there for three days, and now they've run out of food. And if they walk home, they're going to be hungry, and it's it's going to be very very tiring. So I want you to just highlight very quickly. It says Jesus. It says I feel compassion for the people, and uh, the word there I put it on your outline. I won't try to pronounce it, but I'll show you how this works out a little bit later on. And that word means. To have, to have the bowels yearn, uh, to feel sympathy, to pity. It's, it's when you have emotion for somebody and uh, you, you feel it inside. Do you remember when you were in the seventh grade and that person broke up with you? Am I the only one? <laughs> and that, that sick feeling that you had? Well, Jesus has that same feeling as he sees the people. I mean, it's, a, it's something that he really feels for them. That's what the word word con- conveys. So I'm the only one who got dumped in the seventh grade? Ooh, what about the eighth grade? Am I the only one who got dumped in the eighth grade? <laughs> what about perpetually through high school? Anybody? <laughs> All right. Well, verse 30, it tells us that there are large crowds, but if we go to verse 38, it'll tell us, it says, and those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So this is going to be a very large crowd, and they've been with Jesus now for, for three days. Verse 33, it says, the disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves? Uh, well, let me, let me read. Uh, okay, so the disciples respond to him. And now in verse 33, I have to read it this way. The disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place uh, to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus tunes into what they're actually doing. And so he says, Jesus said to them, all right, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Now uh, I love that because uh, we forget uh, what happened the, the last time. So I want to read it with that, with that in mind. First of all, this miracle is going to take place in a desolate place just like when he fed the 5,000. That's going to be the, the same. Uh, they, everybody recognizes that there's no way for them to feed so many people. All miracles begin as an impossible situation, and we typically make that a point. But the last time you'll recall, when he says in verse 34, he said to them, "Uh, how many loaves do you have? And they said to him, seven with a few small fish. Now, last time when there was a great need, uh, Jesus had to say, he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? And uh, go look and so they had to go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. This time you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, you know, how many do you have? Go look. Uh, Here, uh, I, I think that they saw the situation developing, they remember the last time, and because they remember the last time as they see it the situation developing, they've already decided we we kinda know what he's going to do. And so we're gonna go through the crowd and we're gonna find out so that when he says, How many lows do you have? they go, seven. Ha, ah, mess them with it. You. you know, that's kind of the the uh well that was funny in my office, but uh <laughs> <laughs> but so, so they've collected the seven loaves at this point. And, and so Jesus doesn't say bring them here because they, they already have them. Verse 35. So that's a little bit different. So maybe the disciples are growing at this point. And so he directed the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish. And now, and however, your Bible says it, I want you to underline where it says giving thanks, giving thanks. He broke them and started giving them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. The disciples gave them to the people. One of the things that, that, uh, that we, we learn is that although Jesus was fully God and he was fully man, everything that Jesus did he had to do as a man. So he had to, all the miracles he, he did, he did not do with his power as God. The Bible says he emptied himself of that, and so everything that he did he had to do as a man. And so here he models something, and uh, this is very important. And so I want you to write this down. This miracle begins by thanking God in advance for the answer. Thanking God in advance for the answer. At this point, all they have is a few loaves. There is absolutely no evidence that you can look at and see that God's going to do something, but Jesus models giving thanks in advance. Uh, By the way, just for fun, when it says in giving thanks, the word there in the original language is Eucharistio, uh, to where we get the English word Eucharist, and that just means giving thanks, giving thanks. Well, Jesus gave thanks before there was any evidence that something would actually take place. And Paul would say, and you'll get this throughout the entire New Testament, when you pray and you're asking God for something, you go to his word, you find out what his word says, And then you present that petition before the Lord. And then, before there's any evidence, you begin to give thanks. So, Paul would say it like this Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching, watching therein with thanksgiving. Does everybody see that? So, you ask God, and then you begin to thank God in advance for the answer. So, you determine what it is that God says about your situation. No evidence whatsoever, but you begin to thank God. You begin to thank God. Another time, So it's also important here that Jesus does not rehearse the problem as he prays. He doesn't say, Father, you know there is this large crowd and we only have seven loaves and it's such a great need and everyone's so hungry. He doesn't build up how big the problem is. He just begins to thank God for the answer. Thanks God for the answer. Paul would say this. Paul would say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with, what's that word? Thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. So, part of prayer, part of the answered prayer, is you go to God's word. You find out what God says about your situation. You bring that to the Lord, based upon your word, and then you begin to thank God in advance for the answer when there's no evidence whatsoever. And you see that throughout. But it's something that's greatly missed. Greatly missed in um, many circles of. Uh, what we would profess to be Bible-believing Christians. And uh, so just tuck that away and, and think about that. Hopefully sometime we'll have a chance to talk about that a little bit more. Verse 36, he took the seven loaves and the fish, giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. So after giving thanks, he breaks the bread, he gives it to the disciples. This will be a miracle from God for the people through the disciples. He's going to have the disciples participate in that. We'll talk about that. Verse 37, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces. And then it says, seven large baskets. And I want you to underline that. Seven large baskets full. Seven large baskets full. Now what we're going to find in a few minutes when we look at it, that when it says that they're satisfied, it's going to mean that they're stuffed. What that means is they, they didn't just get a little piece of bread, they, they've gone back for fish and they've gone back for bread, and it's just, you know, they've, they've, they're stuffed at this point. Well, that was this miracle. Now, there was in chapter 14, there was the feeding of the 5,000. Now, in that miracle, that was, what was interesting about that is that miracle was recorded in all four Gospels. So each of the Gospels brought out a, a certain aspect of something that, that took place. So you, get the, you, know, you put them together you get the full picture. So in chapter 14 when Jesus feeds the 5,000, one of the differences is, is that that time Jesus was on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee and that crowd was completely Jewish. This crowd today is going to be completely Gentile. There, there's no Jewish people living over in the Decapolis. Do you remember when Legion, the demons were cast out? What the demons went into? Who remembers? They went into pigs. Yeah. Pigs and Jewish people. They do not <laughs> mix, okay? So there were no Jewish people over there. They had not discovered the joy of bacon. And. Uh, <laughs> as I hope you have discovered. Sometimes it's just good to be a Gentile. So, But one of the things that was the same is that that miracle and this miracle began with, there on your outline it says, he had compassion on them. So he had compassion on them as he has compassion on this group that, that, that are Gentiles. And so that's when it begins. Then it says, as evening approached, Matthew says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, Uh, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away. So here's what I want you to underline. As evening approached, and then it says it's already late. It's already late. So the last time the miracle took place, they were with Jesus for the bulk of one day. In this miracle that we're seeing today, they've been with Jesus now for three days, and that's going to be important for for our study. So last time it was one day and this time it's three days. Well you'll recall it was after that miracle that it said immediately Jesus got the disciples on the boat. And there was something that was taking place that he realized I need to get the disciples out of here right now. This was a Jewish crowd. And so in John it, as he told the story he gave the detail and he says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So that would have been a great temptation for the disciples, knowing that the crowd of Jewish people there wanted to make him king. So Jesus puts them on the boat, gets them out of there, and he withdraws from the crowd. So they go to the other side of the lake. But what takes place is that the people recognize where Jesus is going, so they just go around and they meet Jesus over there on the other side. It's at that time that Jesus confronts the people, the 5,000 who had been fed, who had stayed for the bulk of the day, as they come and they they now encounter Jesus on the other side. Jesus says this, there in your outline. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He exposes their motives. Their motives were we want to make you king because we kind of like this whole big meal thing. You can pop that out three times a day, we'll make you king you know, is the idea. And he exposes that. That was their motives for following him. They just wanted another meal. Does that make sense? Now, here's the question. Their motives were wrong. Jesus knows their motives. Did he still bless them and feed them anyways? Of course he did. Of course he did. Now, there are some times when you're going to have the wrong motives too. And because he is the exact representation of the nature of God, he's still going to bless you. Now, you want to work on the motives, but, but he still blessed them. So keep that in mind. He still blessed them. So we, when we looked at that story last time, we highlighted some things. I didn't put them on your, on your outline. We did that last time. But what we see is that Jesus cared for both crowds, both crowds. One was Jewish, one was, one was Gentile, one was there most of the day, one was there for three days. And, and when we did that, we, we, uh, we, we highlighted that, first of all, Jesus cared about their immediate need. He cared what they were going through. They were hungry. They were hungry. And because he is the exact representation of the nature of God, when we look at the miracle stories, we see that Jesus cares about people's immediate needs. And so, they they, they were hungry, and uh, you know they wouldn't have died; they they would have fainted. Maybe you know, and fainting doesn't mean that they would pass out; it means that they would just become very, very, very weak. But you'll recall as we looked at some of those miracle stories, for instance, we talked about Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana and they've ran out of wine. And it's not like anybody's going to die, and it's not like the couple's not still going to get married, but Jesus cares about their immediate need. And so he takes care of that situation. You recall the story, they had fished all night. And uh, Jesus is there, they caught nothing, it wasn't That they were going to go bankrupt. It wasn't the first time they had a bad night of fishing. It wasn't going to be the last time they would have a bad night of fishing. But Jesus was there and he cared about their immediate situation. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. And so here in our story, it's it's not that that anybody would have died if he didn't feed them, but, but they would have been hungry, they would have been weak, and it would have been difficult. And so he just cares about their situation. And so what, what I would want to say to you is that when your motives are good and your motives are not good and uh, sometimes I can't tell whether my motives are right or whether they're wrong. Am I alone in this? You know, I, I wish they were always right and then sometimes I don't know, I don't know. But here's what I know about him because he's the exact representation of the nature of God. He still cares about our immediate situation. And, and you have children, and sometimes your kids do something wrong. <laughs> they do something bad, you know, but they're little kids. And, uh, you know, you don't toss them out of the house, do you? You know, you work it out. You still feed them, still love them. And, you know, you go on because they're your kids. They're your kids. Well, so we noticed they cared about their, their immediate need. And then we, we saw that when Jesus performs miracles, he likes to have the disciples participate. So when he goes to the wedding and he's at the wedding that um, he could have just said, let there be wine in the pots and poof, it would have happened and he could have done that. But he chose to use participation. And so he said to the people, pick up the pots and go fill them up with water. Your part, you fill them up with water. My part, I'll convert them into what they need to be converted into. So they fished all night and uh, they caught nothing. And Jesus could have said, as we said a few weeks ago, he could have just said to the lake, all fish who can hear my voice, hop into the boat. But he didn't do that. But he didn't do that. He chose to participate. So his part was that it was going to be filled, but their part was that they would have to launch out and put the nets out. Now we read that in a few minutes. What we forget is that those nets were somewhere between 600 feet to 1,000 feet. So it wasn't like they were sitting in the boat, tossed out the net, and pulled it in. They had to put those nets in, which were drag nets, and pull that in. It was a miracle that took their participation literally several hours, several hours. And you know the rest of the story. Many people, I believe, miss out on what it is that God wants to do in their life because they don't realize that sometimes there's God's part, but He loves us to participate. And if we don't participate, then the miracle doesn't take place. He says, I feed the birds of the air. (laughs) We always mention how, yes, but he doesn't drop the worm off at the nest. There's God's part, I'll make sure it's there. You've got to go get it. You've got to go get it. Many people miss out because they're just waiting for God to do his part and they don't recognize that he enjoys participation of his people. He, He likes to do the miracle with his people. So in our story today, what we find is that Jesus' part was to thank God in advance to break the bread, but he chooses to use the disciples to pass out. And as the disciples pass it out, apparently it continues to multiply. He could have said, let there be bread, poof, and everybody would go, whoa, look at that. There's bread everywhere. That's not how he chose to do it. So you notice that in the miracles. But then there's the part that, that I think for the church at large, now Half of the church is weird on this and the other half of the church is weird the other way. But we forget that these miracles also convey that he is the God of abundance. He is not the God of just enough. He's the God of abundance. And the miracles, because Jesus does them and they are, he is the exact representation of the nature of God, the miracles convey that he is the God of abundance. And so last time when we talked about this, we said, you know, so Jesus heals somebody who's blind. And the truth is, uh, if he could have done just enough, you know, just to give you just enough sight, you might say, uh, so that you know, if you can't see anything, but now you can see something, that's pretty good. A lot of us would be happy with that, you know. But he restores completely. So he goes to the wedding, and uh, they had run out. Which means they had already had a bunch because now they have ran out, and so he could have said, "Well, here's a couple of bottles that'll get you through." But if you do the math, you find out that the miracle involves making 180 gallons of 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 wine for the wedding, which is more. I hope that's more than enough. But but (laughs) it was more. You know, they'd already had some; they ran out. But so the 100 that's that's enough. You know, even for you know some of your parties. But um. (laughs) So he, he goes and they'd fished all night and, and uh, you know he, he could have said launch out and given them just enough you know, to get you through the day, pay your bills, feed your family, that's good. But when you look at the story, because he's the God of abundance, there's so much that it literally begins to sink the boat, they have to actually call other boats in because the catch is so great. He's the God of abundance. And so here today what we're going to see is that every person will have as much as they want and and they're going to be stuffed, we'll see in in a few moments. And being stuffed we're going to find that because he's the exact representation of the nature of God and because he's the God of abundance uh, there's going to be left over and uh, we'll talk about that. So those are the things that we see are the same in both miracles. But I want to suggest something here and, and see if this makes sense to you. That There is something that's different. There's something that, that's also very different. I'm going to suggest that what's different here, it appears. Um, the first thing, and I'm going to suggest two things, but, but um, based on the story, I'm going to suggest that this crowd was starving for God's word. They were starving for God's word. In verse 29 he sits down. Now we might miss that but in that culture that meant that he was beginning to teach and he's been there for three days. And uh, verse 32 tells us that they've been there for three days. When he fed the 5,000 they were there for the bulk of one day and it's getting late on the first day and so he he cares for them so he takes care of the, the need. There's something about Jesus that that as he's teaching, there's something about that where they are saying, I have to be here. I have to get this. And it's been three days. And they knew that there were things going on back home, but there was something about his word that was grabbing them. And they said, "I, I know there's stuff going on, but I have to be here. I need this right now. I think that he tells us that they've been there for three days so that we would know that they're not just there for a meal of bread. You don't wait three days for to get some bread. But whatever was happening, they needed to be there and, and we're told that they've been there for three days. Uh, I would also say that when he arrives this time uh, and maybe I'm saying the same thing just differently, but I I would suggest that they craved being in His presence. They craved being in His presence. They could have said, "You know, it's been a great day. Had a good, learned some things, but I got to get back. You know, got the farm, got the business, got this." But there was something about encountering Him that, whatever was going on back home, they said, "I need to be here. I, I I just, I don't want to leave." This right now. There was something about being in his presence that even though stuff was going on back home, they wanted to be there. I I would suggest that there's something about the Jesus of the Bible that causes people, when they encounter the Jesus of the Bible, to say, I want to be in his presence. When somebody claims to be a believer in Jesus, but there's not that desire for his presence, I would suggest that somebody might have sold them another Jesus. Because what we see in the Bible is that when it's really Jesus, there's this desire to be in his presence. Does that make sense? And so I, because they're there for three days, that's very different than the crowd that was there for one day who wanted to make him king because uh, you know, they wanted the bread. He still blessed them. He still blessed them. So he had compassion for both crowds. And both crowds are blessed by Jesus, but I see something here. The, the verse there on your outline, verse 37, it says, they all ate and were satisfied. And that word satisfied is cortezo. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets. And, and it, in the English, it says seven large baskets. So the first thing we notice is they're satisfied. And, um, you know, if, if you have a, uh, in our world, satisfied doesn't mean what, it, what this conveys. The word there in the original language, cortezo, means to gorge. Does everybody see that? To supply food in abundance. So this is like Thanksgiving. You know, you've had your first, your seconds, your thirds. You bring out the pie. You know you shouldn't, but we know you will. And you eat more and more. And, and then you just have to lay down and, and pass out, essentially. Am I alone in this? <laughs> so they're, they're stuffed. They're stuffed. Now, here it tells us that they picked up after everything was done seven large baskets, and the word there is spurious. And that means a large, flexible basket for carrying provisions. So this would be a basket, I should have got a picture, but a basket about so wide, so tall, and uh, you would load your stuff in it and then you would carry it. So this here is filled up, overflowing, with bread at this point. Now the reason uh, I think that's significant is because when Jesus fed the 5,000, he cared for them. He still blessed them, but their motives weren't where they needed to be. And he exposed that. Still cared for them, still blessed them. But last time they picked up 12 small hand baskets of broken pieces. And the idea then was was there was enough for each disciple to take away a little something left over, uh, maybe as a reminder, maybe a snack later on is, is what the, the, uh, the, the word conveys. It's just a little bit. But what we see in this group who were Gentile. That would be unlikely. Uh, They wanted to stay for three days. Their motives weren't, we just want the bread. Their motives were, we want to be in your presence. Their, Their motives were, we want to hear what you have to say. Although he blessed both of them, the leftovers, the blessing here is going to be, and I want you to write this down, a hundredfold. A hundredfold. A hundred times the blessing. There was something in their response to him that allowed him to bless them so much more. Now, some would suggest that he blessed them so that they would have food on the way home, and that's quite possible, too. Uh, Others suggest that he blessed them uh, because we do see here in the Gospels at this point a turning point where Jesus is ministering to more and more Gentiles and less and less of a Jewish crowd. But I do notice that there is something very different in their response, their heart to the Lord, and that leads to a very different amount of blessing in their lives. I love that for the crowd who had the bad motives, he still blessed them. He still loved them, just like you love your children. And yet there was something special about the crowd that wanted to be in his presence that wanted to hear his word, and he made sure that we understood that they were there for three days, so we couldn't say they're just there for a meal. There was something that they needed to to experience with him. I believe in this also, that he is conveying to them that he is the exact representation of the nature of God. And so because he is the exact representation of the nature of God, he is conveying to them that he wants to be in their lives the, the God of abundance. He wants to meet their immediate needs. He wants the participation. In our world, the church is on one side. It's all about abundance, material blessing, uh, financial Blessing, which I, I believe that God is very much wanting that for His people. But sometimes on the other side, uh, when it comes to material blessing, that that the church thinks that there's something wrong with that. Like you can't be spiritual if you're materially blessed. You have a hard time making that argument from the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's Abraham. He's called the father of faith. He's the friend of God. He's the example of what it means to be right before God apart from what they would call the Old Testament law and yet uh, he was the richest man on the planet at that point. Abraham, who's the picture of what it means to walk by faith, never had to choose between being blessed materially and walking with the Lord, his relationship with the Lord because God loves to bless his people. God will be the God of just enough if that's what we want him to be. But when I look at the nature of who he is and what he conveys, he loves to bless his people. He loves to bless his people so that they can in turn be a blessing to others and for the kingdom. And with that, I would encourage you to think that through and evaluate who is the God that you believe in as we wrap up today. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we wrap this up today, Lord, you've conveyed these stories to us because there's something that you want us to see. You are the exact representation of your Heavenly Father. And Father, you sent Jesus to represent you and your heart then and what your word says is that you really care. You really care for your people. You care for us when we get it right and you care for us when we don't completely get it right. But Lord, we also realize that we live in a religious environment that sometimes forgets who you really are and what it is that you really want to do in our lives and on our behalf so that we can partner with you to accomplish great things in this time or place where you've called us to be. I pray, God, that as we go forward that we would begin to embrace the God- who reveals himself through scripture and even if that's different than the god of our culture that you help us to hear from you and follow you i pray god that you keep us till we meet again it's in jesus name we pray and all god's people said amen Amen. god bless you guys we'll see you next time